tonight we our lesson um, will be uh, the title of our lesson tonight is the power to be witnesses the power to be witnesses the lesson big idea is because God gives us vision as his witness we must see everyone as potential candidates for the new birth experience. Scripture focus tonight is Acts 10, 9 to 15. Amen? Everybody there? Acts 10, 9 to 15. So, um, there's, a, there's some reading to be done. I'll do the reading. Just... Uh, I'd like you to just, um, yes, Acts 10, 9 to 15. So we're going to read. Amen. So there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much arms to the people and pray to God always. So what this is saying is Cornelius lived in Caesarea. That's a Roman city in the Mediterranean Sea, in, in, um, off the coast of uh, Israel. He was, a, he was a centurion of the Italian battalion. Centurions were commanders in the Roman army. And he had a company of about a hundred men under his authority. He had great influence and power. Cornelius was a devout, God-fearing, generous, and, and he was prayerful. But even though he had these qualities, he, he was a Gentile, and he wasn't part of the mainstream Jew. He, he wasn't a Jew. As a matter of fact, he was a Gentile. So there was something missing. The Gentiles, they, um, the Jews wouldn't go in on to the Gentiles. To, you know, they wouldn't associate themselves with him. He was a Roman. Um, even though he was well-known and popular, there's a limit to where the Jews would um, associate with him. He saw in a vision... I'm at uh, verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, the, the angel called him by name. So he was in constant prayer. So when the angel addressed him, he addressed him by name. That's what happened when we are in constant prayer with God. Amen. At the ninth hour of the day, which is about 3, 3 p.m., time for evening prayer and sacrifice, an angel of the Lord came to Cornelius and called him by name. Um, Cornelius was searching for God. He was doing all the right things, but so, something was still missing. If we take a look at uh, Jeremiah 29.13, Jeremiah 29.13, it says here, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. This is what 
Cornelius was doing. He was searching for God. Something was missing though. But he was searching. How could Cornelius know what to do? Because the Jews were considered... Um, because the Jews considered the Gentiles unclean if they went into their home. So there, there was still a barrier. They, couldn't, they, they wouldn't take the gospel to them. They felt like the gospel was just for the Jews only. Who are the Gentiles? This term refers to anyone that is not a Jew. Back in the days of the Bible, Jews saw Gentiles as pagans, idolaters, heathens. They were very proud of their religion. That's the Jews. They were very proud of their religion, and the Gentiles were considered unclean. They felt the same way about the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jews. They felt the same way about them. They would not have fellowship with them. But here we are going to see two visions were about to happen that would change the life and also the path of the gospel message for, forever. So there were going to be two visions that is going to change um, what happened in the lives of Cornelius and the Gentiles. This message is going to go forever. Um, verse 4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy arms are come up for a memorial before God. See now, God remembers and honors your prayer to him and what you give to the poor. Remember what, what I'd said earlier. Um, Cornelius, he was a devout man. And he was God-fearing, generous, and prayerful. So God remembers it. So here now, the angel visited him. And he, um, God remembers and honors your prayer to him and, and what you give to the poor. Let's look at Proverbs 19.17. You, you don't have to get there. I'll, well, if you want, but I will read it. It says, He that had pity upon the poor, lend it unto the Lord. And that which he give, he has given, will he pay him back. So, he that has pity upon the poor, lend it unto the Lord. And the Lord will pay him back. Proverbs 14.31 also say, this is in the NIV. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So, even though Cornelius wasn't saved, even though um, something was missing, he was doing most of the right thing and he was searching for God. Amen? And now send me to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodged with one Simon at Tana, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou artest to do. So, here now, um, we were at the point where the angel came to Cornelius and told him what he should do. Because God knows his heart. God knows that he was searching. He, he needed something else. So, he told him where to go, who he should get in contact with in order to get what he needed to be 
saved. He wasn't saved there. If we look at Acts 11.14, it reads, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? That is jumping a little further, but that is, what, that is the reason why he was seeking, uh, why he had to get to Peter, because Peter was going to give him words. Whatever he needed to be saved, Peter was going to give him. Cornelius prayed to God and seek after him, but he was not saved according to scripture. Peter would tell him and his household how to be saved. Amen? And when the angels which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So he, he had some soldiers with him. He called two of them. And, I mean, two servants and a soldier. And he sent them um, to Joppa to find Peter. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about six, the sixth hour. That sixth hour there is 12, 12 um, midday. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down from, to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. If you can remember, the Jews had a dietary law. They, they, they were given specific instructions what to eat and what was not supposed to be eaten. So, Peter, he would not have eaten some things that he saw in there. I'm sure he probably saw pigs. And I, I'm sure he wouldn't, um, that's not something that he would eat. This sheet had all kind of animals and creeping things that the Jews were commanded not to eat because they were unclean. So, um, as soon as he saw that, I'm just picturing him now. He, you know, probably just um, look at it startled because this is not something he's going to eat. You know, I'm just picturing if Brother Scarlett was on the roof and saw that sheet come down and it had a pig in it. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be a problem. <laughs> And there came a voice to him, and the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have not eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again, and the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So three times the voice said to him, eat. And I'm assuming he said three times, no, <laughs> no. 
This happened three times, and finally it was taken back up into heaven. Peter and the rest of the Jews always thought the gospel was only for them. They, they never tried to share the gospel with um, the Gentiles. They had no dealings with them. And as I mentioned before, the Samaritans, which are basically half Jews, they never had any dealings with them either. If they went into a Gentile home, they were considered unclean. Little did they know that God was preparing Peter to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. So this, he was telling him something, even though he didn't recognize right away. He was, he was thinking about it, trying to figure out what he was being taught, but at that point, he didn't recognize right away. He was about to show him that salvation was for everybody. Not just for the Jews. It was for everybody. Amen? One of the biggest mistakes we, we could make as Christians is to look down on someone or a particular nation and think they cannot be saved. That would be wrong. There is a, I like to use this, there is a scripture in the Bible that talks about Nineveh. Nineveh was, it was a wicked city. It was a city, they didn't worship God at all. They did their own thing. They were wicked. They, they um, worshiped idols. God was about to destroy them. But being a merciful God, he didn't just go in and destroy them. He gave them a last chance. He sent one of his prophets. And they were so wicked that nobody believed they would repent. But when the prophet went and preached to them, they all repented. As a matter of fact, they fasted. Even, they made even their animals fast. God didn't destroy, the, uh, destroy them. So, we are not supposed to look down on anyone and believe that they are, um, God is not going to save them. That's not true. God, he is a merciful God. He loves everyone. He doesn't like the sin, but he loves everyone. And he's not going to condemn you. He's going to convict you. He will always give you a second chance to come to him. He knows your heart. So you have to come to him sincerely. Amen. This tells me that there are are devout, God-fearing, praying men and women just waiting on someone to tell them how to be saved. I'm pretty sure we have people all over the place. It's, it's not right to look at people and say, oh, they're doing that? That's it for them. They could be just like Cornelius, serve, I mean, praying, um, giving, doing everything that God wants, but... They just need one of us to go and tell them the real um, good news, the gospel, how to be saved. Amen? Will we do it? Or will we think they are unclean? <laughs> Up until Peter got that, that um, vision, he thought they were unclean. 
But here now he's going to know that God is using him to reach these people that he once thought were unclean. Acts 10.17 Now while Peter doubts in, in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiries for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So while he was thinking about this, those men that came from um, Cornelius, they were standing out the gate and asking, if, is this where um, Simon Peter and Simon the Tanner are? And called and asked where Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged here. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. God sent them to Peter. God told Peter, go down, meet them, because I sent them there. Peter was still trying to understand what just happened on the roof when the Spirit alerted him that three men are looking for him. Go with them and do not doubt. This is what the Spirit told him. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he who you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all nations of the Jews, were warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. That was unheard of before. So when he got that vision, it changed him right away. He invited them in. And they stayed there until the other morning. Then they set off to Caesarea to see Cornelius. Peter made a big step in offering the Gentiles somewhere in his friend's home to sleep that night and they left the next day. He took six Jews with him. He took them with him as witness, I'm assuming, because this is, this is something new. This has never happened to him before. So he took these Jews with him and went along with, remember there were three um, that came from, from Cornelius. He allowed the Gentiles to come into his house and the next day he accompanied them to Caesarea to the home filled with Gentiles. So now he's not too worried about Gentiles anymore. He's not worried about being unclean. This whole thing is coming from God. God is working out something right now and he seemed to be anxious to find out where this thing is going to lead him. So um, verse 24 and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his, at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found Many that were come together, and he said unto them, Ye know how this is 
an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God had showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So by the following day, by the time he reached the home, the revelation had started to come to him. He knew now that he should not call anybody unclean because the same salvation God gave him and his um, and the rest of Jews, it was re- he was ready to give it to the Gentiles now, and he was going to use him, Peter the Rock. By the time <clears throat> um, if, if, if Peter had gone with the same attitude, how would he be able to preach? How would he be able to give? the Gentiles, what they needed to be saved. It's like, I'm thinking about this. If Brother Tom and I have a problem, and I dislike Brother Tom with a passion, but I'm up here praying for Brother Tom, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to see. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be praying like, bless Brother Tom. <laughs> You know, this is not coming from a heart. This is going to, it it is going to be difficult. So if he never received that um, revelation, when he went there, nothing would be real. I I don't think the Holy Ghost, (laughs) they wouldn't receive the Holy Ghost because he would not have done what he was supposed to do. But he started to get the revelation and by the time he reached there, he he got the full revelation that, Nothing is wrong with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are about to receive the Holy Ghost just like he received the Holy Ghost. Amen? Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Can any man forbid water that ye should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Peter preached to them Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost fell on all of them that heard. And if you look at, if you just fast forward a little to Acts 11, 14 to 17, you will see what exactly um, that Peter came with a word, he gave it to them. They, that exactly, that was exactly what they were missing. Um, Cornelius, he was a God-fearing man, and what he did, the same thing, the same belief he had, he taught it to his family because the Bible described him and his household as serving God. So um, when Peter came in and Peter, you know, Peter told them exactly what they needed and they all um, got baptized in Jesus' name and were saved. So Cornelius was obedient to the vision he received and sent men to call Peter. If Cornelius didn't believe in God and didn't act when God told him, then he wouldn't receive um, 
the gift of the Holy Ghost. He, would, he wouldn't receive what he needed to be saved. Peter, on the other hand, obedient to the vision he received that caused the gospel to be spread to every nation. Peter, if you look at Peter's situation, he never went into a Gentile's home. He felt that they were unclean. So it was easy for him to just ignore you know, everything that he saw there because he, it, it was easy for him to say, look, I have this in writing. I'm not supposed to eat pigs or anything like that. And all of this coming down in the sheep, this couldn't be, it couldn't be real. It couldn't be from God. But he knew it and he went and he was obedient and he was the one that took the gospel to the Gentiles. Amen? It was not the method, or it is not the method that we use. Or it's not about the messenger. It is about the message. The message that he took to them, that is why they were saved. That is why the gospel came to them and they received the Holy Ghost. Because of the message that he took to them. Not who took it to them, or the method. It is the message. The importance of God-given vision. <clears throat> what does it mean to have a vision? One definition is the act or power of anticipating that which will or may come to be. Some say it is being able to see something in your heart or mind before it can be physically seen by the eye. In many ways, faith gives vision. Proverbs 29:18 Where there's no vision the people perish but he that keepeth the law happy is he In other words where there's no vision the people are unrestrained the people will not be able to focus there's no vision so you're not going to be able to focus they will not be able to follow their dreams and ultimately unable to reach their goals Without a planned destination, no one knows where to go. If you don't have a planned destination, you're just going to be driving around. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Godly vision is seeing the big picture. That is how all humanity needs salvation. So the big picture here is all humanity needs salvation. Why is it important to see the big picture in most everything we do? Proverbs 29:18 again, where there is no vision, the people perish. We have to have a vision. Pastor said something recently. We have to have um, a mark um, to measure. What's that now? Your progress. If not, there, there is no standard to go by. You have to have a mark. You have, to, you, have to be, um, you have to have a goal. You have to have a vision to move forward. Are you just going to be going around in circle and not making any progress? If there is no vision of the harvest, we'll find ourselves going back and becoming less than what God called us to be. Imagine, we are people of the name. We are God-fearing people. We have the Spirit of God in us. 
and we are if we um, don't follow or have a vision we can easily be looked at as underachiever we shouldn't be doing that if we have God inside of us if we believe in God and know that all things is possible all things are possible through Christ Jesus then we shouldn't be doing that a godly vision is a picture of what God wants us to do in our lives that picture comes at his timing a God given vision for the harvest will keep our minds hearts and action focused on reaching the lost in our world when God gives us a vision it could be a vision like what uh, Peter and Cornelius got Um, but it doesn't have to be that though you can get a God given vision at any point sometimes you, you acts 18 6 to 9 um, you could just get a revelation at some point and suddenly realize that you are living outside of his covenant and at that point you make every effort to be inside his his covenant or you can see your family that same way and you you um witness to them and go after them to bring them to the kingdom amen we are all chosen to go he have not chosen me but have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. This is John 15:16. What does it mean to go? To go does not necessarily mean leave the country and go to let's say Africa, Asia, um, Jamaica. It doesn't necessarily mean that. You could take the gospel to your friends. I'm sure all of us have unsaved friends. Friends that we need to share the gospel to. Our neighbors. Someone or someone that you purposely um, befriend just to teach them the gospel. Because as the pastors say a lot of time, if God save us just for ourselves, then we all would have been dead already. Because once we get saved, if that's the only purpose that we are, um, he saved us for, as soon as we got saved, then he could take us because we are saved. But he saved us so we can share the gospel. His commandment to us is to go. Go into the world, make disciples. If it is that good for you to save you, and you are all about soul, then you should have that desire to go to reach someone else and bring the gospel to them. Amen? To go may mean supporting a foreign mission, both in prayer and financially. You might not be called to go on the... Um, missionary field but 
to go might mean to support someone that is already or is called on the missionary field. If we do not go, we are disobeying the word of God. Our love for God and the burden that he has put in our hearts for soul should dictate. That should be the driving force behind us going out and reaching the lost. And sharing the gospel with someone and helping them to become saved. So that when they are saved, they can go out and do the same thing. Amen? He did not save us for ourselves. He saved us to share the message so others will be saved as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are all commanded to go. If you take a look at the scripture, Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Here is where a lot of people get it wrong. They say baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But we know what that means. And, uh, and we might not be called on a missionary field, but we can pray. We are supposed to pray. We all need the power of the Holy Ghost within us to be witness. Um, Acts 1.8. If you look at Acts 1.8, it tells us, But he shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So, that's the reason why we need the Holy Ghost. For power, for direction, strength. That Holy Ghost inside of us give us boldness. If you look through the book of Acts, you will see when um, Peter and the rest of the apostles, when they received the Holy Ghost, they didn't care anymore as long as they were preaching the gospel. You know, they, 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 the Romans threatened them that if they preached in that name anymore, they're going to lock them up and they could lose their life. Next thing they know, they were somewhere else preaching again. So they were bold. Um, this same scripture, it tells us, the, the, the rest of it says, And he shall be witness to me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So, we should witness. Our witness should start in our local, uh, inside our house, first. I don't think, it's, how can you go abroad and um, um, teach someone? Share the gospel with someone. But the person very next to you, your immediate family, they don't know the gospel. You should start right there first. And then you move out, you know, teaching the gospel um, in a bigger circle as you go until you, you um, not necessarily you going to the uttermost part, but someone that you teach, teach somebody else. That's, that's a cycle. That's how it, it, it goes. You are supposed to share the gospel. And the person you teach is supposed to share the gospel. Amen? Luke 4 describes Jesus' return to Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. 
and attended a synagogue service and was given a scroll to read. Reading from Isaiah 61, the passage became his own personal mission statement. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This was Jesus' vision for the harvest field. Our vision should be the same. We should have that mission statement that we are going out. It's all about us going and reaching the lost and teaching them what we have learned so they can also be saved and they can teach their household to be saved. Um, people out there need to um, we need to reach the poor to let them know that there is a deliverer there are people that are unchurched and see a lot of times when um, people get in problems if you are affiliated with the church you come back to the church because you know the power of the word of God you know the power of God. You know that God will redeem you. What about the people out there that are unchurched? When they um, find themselves in any problem, what are they going to do? Sometimes you hear about suicide. Sometimes you hear about some crazy things happening. It's because they are unchurched. They don't know Jesus Christ. So that, that is, um, we have to make it our point of duty to reach them so that they can hear about the gospel. So they can know that um, when they experience a problem, there is someone that they can lean upon, that they can tell their problem, that they can pray to. And God is a redeemer, and he will mend their broken heart, and he will set the captives free. Amen? What does the harvest field look like to you? <laughs> Our harvest field should be souls, unchurched, you know, people that are lost. That is what should drive us. That should be on our minds constantly. And, um, you know, reaching the lost, reaching someone and bringing them back. The, the Bible says the angel rejoice when a soul is one to the Lord. When, when, when a soul is saved, the angels rejoice. We, sometimes we don't um, look at it that way. But if the angels rejoice, we should rejoice. Our our goal should be going out there and getting someone and bringing them back so that the angels can rejoice and we can rejoice too. Amen? The life of an apostolic witness is not a life of ease and leisure. 
A burden for the lost may cost you sleepless nights. It will require some missed meal. It demands humility. It may come with fear. The fear you will, fear you will fail at that one eternally important task. The fear you have not done enough and the fear you push too hard. Additionally, the temptation to give up will be strong. This is not going to be an easy, easy job. It's not an easy road. It is, it is something that you have purposed in your heart to go out and do. When you go out and witness, you knock on doors. You have to be humble. Sometimes people come out and they talk to you real badly. But you have to know that um, you have to separate this. You are doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. So whatever they say to you, they are actually saying it to Jesus. He will deal with them. Likewise, when you go and you, you are successful, somebody um, comes out, they listen to you, they come the following day and they get baptized, don't puff up yourself. You know, you have to be humble. This is, God sent you there. He gave you the words to reach them. He saved them. So just rejoice. You know, either way, don't take it personally. Just be humble and know that this is not going to be something easy. Amen? Any questions? I'm going to um, wrap up with a story from Dwight L. Moody. He was a preacher and evangelist in the mid to late 80s, born in 1835 in Northfield, Massachusetts. He was an integral part of the higher life movement in the United States and Europe. He was not just the proverbial fiery evangelist but was also a gifted teacher and a prolific writer. His ministry, in whatever form, reached millions of people. It has been said he could have been an industrial statesman like John D. Rockefeller, but instead was drawn away from business and towards missionary work among poor Germans and Scandinavian immigrants in the inner city of Boston. What a difference a vision of the lost can make in the life of one committed Christian. The story is told that while speaking in London, D.L. Moore was approached by several British ministers of the clergy who wanted to know the secret of Moore's success in bringing others to Christ. Moody invited them to look out the window and ask them, one at a time, a simple question. What do you see? Each man looked down on their each man looked down to those passing on the sidewalk below, describing the busy cars on the street and seeing children at play in the park across the street. Trying to be especially observant, they each noted these things. I see people, I see carriages, I see street vendors. Moody prompted them to look again and again he asked, What do you see? 
The second time they seem to get closer to what Moody would consider a correct answer. I see men and women and children. I see workers. I see shoppers and shop owners. To their exasperation, Moody insisted they took a third look. They clearly were not seeing whatever it was. Moody wanted them to see. They didn't see what he wanted them to see. Finally, one of the clergymen inquired, Dr. Moody, what do you see? Moody stepped to the window and silently looked down to the, the scenes below. Tears filled his eyes and he said, I see countless thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. What is your vision? What do you see? Do you see your co-workers, your friends, as lost souls that you can reach? Or do you see men and women who will die and go to hell, lost without Jesus Christ, unless you tell them about him? That should be our, our goal. We should develop a passion for souls. And if we, if, if we don't have one now, we should ask God in our prayer to give us that desire to reach souls. Give us that passion for lost souls. Because if we look through the window, we should be seeing lost souls. And that should be an opportunity for us to reach someone and bring them to Christ. Amen? Amen. Any questions? No questions. All right. We can let over a little earlier. <laughs> Thank you. Let us pray in dismissal. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, O God, for the opportunity to share your word tonight. I thank you for the people that you have sent to hear your word. I pray, O oh God, that whatever you wanted them to hear, they would have heard tonight. And they can use something that was said, something that you wanted us to hear, that will be beneficial to us throughout the week, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray your blessing upon each and every one of us, upon each and every one of our family members, O oh God. Father, let us be all about souls. Let us be soul winners, O oh God. Let us be disciples, O oh God, going out. Let us go and reach the lost, Lord Jesus. I pray, O oh God, that you would put a burden on all of our hearts that we will have that desire to go out and reach the lost. Let us not overlook anyone, Lord Jesus, because you love everyone and your desire is for everyone to be saved. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray your blessing upon this congregation.